Welcome to Voices of Baby Loss, presented by me, Caroline Verdon. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and Jen Coates, who is the Director of Bereavement Support and Volunteering at SANS. SANS is a UK-based charity whose purpose is to save babies' lives and support bereaved families. We also aim to give a voice to parents who've been touched by pregnancy and baby loss. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SANS Charity and on Twitter at SANS UK. Which is also where you can get in touch with us if you'd like to comment on or get involved in the podcast. We are both touched by baby loss and so this topic is really close to our hearts. Coming up on this week's episode. The worst thing that could ever happen to anyone, especially when you think we were so close. And that was the bit that was like literally gut-wrenching because it was like, come on, it would have been three days and he would have been born and he would have been fine. Like everything was perfect. When he was born, I literally couldn't, I couldn't look at him. And I sort of had like this little panic and the midwives were brilliant. They just literally grabbed me, put me in a room, gave me a glass of water and they were like, just breathe. Hello and welcome to episode six. Uh, This week is a bit of a two-parter. We had part one last week uh, and this is our second part of that. And that's because we wanted to talk to partners about their experiences. And we had originally intended to speak to Pete and to Shay and to take some clips and to, to do that as one episode. But actually, when we spoke to them both, we felt it was really important that we shared as much of their stories as possible. So last week we heard from Pete uh, and this week... We're going to hear from Shay. So Shay is the Director of Sport and the Housem at Malvern College, which is an independent day school and boarding school for young people aged between 13 and 18. And so as her role as Housem, she works with the girls and lives on site. So Shay and Abby's son Magnus died just before he was born. And I think you'll hear from listening to this episode how brilliantly Shay describes from the perspective of a partner how this felt and She's just incredible at reaching out for support, but very clear also about what's helpful and what isn't helpful. We were due to have an induction on the 25th of September, which would have been his birthday. And then 19th, 20th of September, the Sunday night, we went to bed as normal. And as normal, Abby would sometimes... I would turn over and she'd turn over and I'd, I'd get a kick in the back, which I thought was quite, it's a bit like a night mum type thing, um, <laughs> which is lovely uh, most nights. Um, and I remember that happening. And then the next day went to work. Um, Abby sent me a, a message saying, oh, I don't know, I just haven't felt as much movement today. But because she had a, an anterior placenta, she wouldn't always feel it very often because, you know, it sort of blocks the, the movement. So... I was like, well, you know, if you're concerned, go to the hospital and, and, and get a check. Do you want me to come? And she was like, no, 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 it'd be fine. Like, you're at work, just crack on. So um, carried on teaching. And around 11 o'clock, if I remember correctly, she um, she rang me and she said, you have to come right, like right now. And I was like, why? And she said, just get here. So I sort of ran across, got my car, left my class, <laughs> um, which was a bit, they were like, where are you going, miss? I was like, i got to go. I'm really sorry. They're like, oh, okay. Um, still left them work to do though. So as you do, um, <laughs> um, and then got to the hospital. And as soon as I sort of walked through the door and the midwife let me in, I knew straight away, um, which is pretty horrific. Uh, that first initial when you get told is like, you sort of hear the words, but then you're sort of like, you don't hear the words a little bit and then people are standing in front of you and there's like a doctor and midwife and a bereavement midwife and 
And my mother-in-law was there because she lives in Hereford, so she managed to get there before I did. Um, and Abby was just sitting on the bench, kept apologising to me, and I was just like, why are you apologising to me? This is not your fault. You didn't do anything. So that sort of first initial bit, you're just sort of numb for a while, and you're hearing words, and people are talking, and they're like, oh, we're so sorry, and, and you're like, great, thanks. <laughs> and then they sort of said to us, oh, you know, you can go home and, and you'll be given pills to, to induce labour. Um, and so we went, we went home and then at about nine o'clock, um, Abby said, oh, I think I'm sensing that it's, it's happening. So then we spent the whole night in the uh, in the hospital where she was sort of having a really tough time. It was really strange because it was sort of all night and we had three different woodwives <laughs> because obviously shift changes were happening as we were there. Um, and the last midwife we had, Kate, was she was absolutely brilliant. Um, and when he was born, I literally couldn't, I couldn't look at him. I was just like, I can't. And I sort of had like this little panic. And the midwives were brilliant. They just literally grabbed me, took me out of the room, just put me in a room, gave me a glass of water, and they were like, just breathe. And I sat there and I was like, okay. And I had to sort of gather my thoughts and be like, this is what I have to do because I can't leave abs to do this on our own. And I had to pull myself together, kind of thing. Um, so I was, I was there for about five, ten minutes, and, then, and a couple of the nurses came in to check on me and were like, "Oh, are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine." Um, and then, yes, and then I went in, and then that was kind of, kind of how it happened over a, a sort of two period day. It was sort of really strange, really strange. Um, yeah. And what was sort of going through your head? Um, you know, when you said um, that Abby was apologising and kept saying sorry, and what what was going through your mind at that point? I was, I was just thinking to myself, I don't know why you're apologising. <laughs> like, why are you apologising? Like, you haven't done anything. And she was like, my body just won't let me. It doesn't want us to have a child. Like, what, you know, how much more can we take? And I... I always see kind of positives in everything. The kids very often say to me, Miss, you are painfully positive. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I said to her, like, you know, this isn't, it's not the worst. This isn't the worst of it. Like, it is. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone, especially when you think we were so close. And that was the bit that was like literally gut-wrenching because it was like, come on, it would have been three days and he would have been born and he would have been fine. Like everything was perfect. So, you know, I said to her, like, don't stress about it. Like, you know, I know you're feeling upset and that that's what's happening, but you haven't done this. So you don't need to apologize. And I kept thinking to myself, it really sucks because there's really literally nothing I can do apart from hug her and tell her it's not, it's not her fault, <laughs> which, you know, how, how helpful is that? I don't, I don't know. Um, only she can answer that and, and she she said obviously having me there is always something that's good and, and supportive and, and helping and stuff like that so I think I think it's okay it's just I spend a lot of time thinking to myself what can I do differently that could be providing sufficient support because my role is to make sure that she is okay and that she's taken care of and that she can you know because it's, it's hugely physical being pregnant is you know, I, I have no idea what it's like um but I, I've seen it um 
how she, you know, struggled with morning sickness and then back pain and then, you know, getting bigger and bigger and, and all of that sort of thing. And it's and the emotions of just like one minute she's like absolutely fine, the next minute's ripping my head off about the most smallest of things. <laughs> and it's like, that's okay, it's pregnancy hormones, don't take it too seriously. <laughs> um so yeah, it's it's a sort of really different in my mind I was thinking, what else can I do? And actually, I'm also very pragmatic. So when things are happening, I'm thinking, what's the next thing I need to do? So I was already thinking, right, I need to, I can't, obviously, I'm not going to be at school. What am I going to do? Oh, what's happening with my kids? And and so everything was very sort of like practical, practical, practical. I'm a, I'm a pretty practical person. So I'm always thinking about what, what needs to be done. So that's sort of a click into that mode because that helps me cope. So in that moment, I was thinking, right, how can I best support her? These are the things I need to do. How am I best going to make sure I can be there the whole time? These are the things I need to do. So that sort of sounds really strange, but that those are the things I was thinking. I wasn't, you know. But when did you get a chance to think about yourself? You know, because it's hugely difficult for you too. And being so pragmatic, do you feel that you had to take on a lot of the responsibility of the practical side of things? Um, well, not really. I think in those first moments, obviously, when you're a couple, you're, you're obviously you're two different people, so you experience things differently. Um, and for us, it was a shared responsibility, I guess, in a way. Like the, that first moment was horrible, and we were both obviously feeling different emotions. But from the following day, because we um, we stayed over in the um, bereavement suite, which they have at Hereford, which was amazing. It gave us a chance to have some of our, our closest family and friends got to meet Magnus. And, and the midwives were brilliant. They kept like coming in like, oh, can we meet him? And, and that was lovely because it, it made him matter. So that was really important to me. Um, but I think probably the, the first time that I really kind of, had time for me was about three days after when we were at home and I just sort of I was like oh I'm just gonna go for a run um I hate running <laughs> as well but I just <laughs> needed to do something um so I went for a run and, and that was when I first sort of had time just to myself to kind of process and and sort of feel how I was feeling without imposing it on someone else because I quite I need to process a lot of things on my own. I don't like to, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, it's really important you process it. Like, no, because <laughs> my feelings are my feelings and I need to I need to feel them myself before I can actually fully appreciate how how everybody else sees it. So, yeah, I, yeah so I started running and that was sort of when I had time just on my own to think about things and, and feel it and had to stop a lot of times just to cry, which was, you know, fine. Um, and when I got back, Abby and I had a conversation about it. And uh, and I said to her, like, we just need to find ways to help us get through what we need to do. Um, and so we sort of had a couple of mantras, which was feel your feelings when you need to. And if you need to cry, you cry. If you, if you want to do that in private, you do it in private. If you want to be together, you work together. Like, we just need to be able to communicate that with each other. And the other one was just to remember to breathe. So um, just breathe, you know, like breathe through a moment, take the time, be in it. Because a lot of times 
I think people tend to try to avoid it. So they try to find things to do to just sort of like, yeah, it happened, but it didn't happen. And you can't, you can get trapped in how you're feeling because you're not allowing yourself a to feel it, breathe through it and then carry on. Um, Cause it is, it's, it's horrible. Like you can spend a huge amount of time just thinking over and over again, what did I do? How did I do it? You know, and I was waking up every night at three in the morning because that was the last memory of the time I remember him kicking me. And it was like every morning, 3 a.m., I'd be like, oh, he's kicked me. And then suddenly it's like, no, no, he didn't because he's not here. And it, so that was the sort of, you know, it was like a cycle for a little while of just, oh, this has happened. Okay. And we go again. So, yeah. You've talked a bit about how you've you managed that together and the mantras that you had, but how has that been over time? We see that with couples that one of them may be really focusing on their grief and their bereavement at one point, and the other person is maybe distracting themselves and not focused, and that can cause tension and pull people apart, put a lot of strain on things. And I wonder how you've managed to navigate that and you know how those mantras may have may have helped with that. We very much very connected, I think. Um, so we just, we just constantly talking. We, we had a moment where I was just really angry about it all and really frustrated. Um, and I just sort of was like, I'm going for a run and I don't want to talk about it. Um, I came back and I'd had time to sort of process what I was thinking and how I was feeling. And Abby got me a bottle of water and, and she sat with me and she said, look, we're going to feel things at different times and we're going to need different things at different times, but we need to be able to communicate that with each other because I don't want to feel like I'm neglecting you because then that makes my grief worse. But equally, I don't want you to feel like you have to be holding my hand the whole time because you need to do things for you. So we're just going to continue talking. That's, that's what we're doing. We, if you wake up in the morning and you feel like it's a day where you just don't want to do people, cool you tell me I'll do what I need to do and give you that space um so yeah that was sort of that was the sort of way we've done it we've just we're always talking constantly about how we feel what we need because people like I say people are different so you're experiencing things at different times different rates so you just have to be able to understand that that's how someone's feeling and allow them to feel it so and that's how feel your feelings was the thing that we said, because like, you're angry, be angry. You're sad, be sad. You want to cry, you cry. Like you, you do the things that you need to do because you, you can just get stuck. And then once you're stuck, you can't. Like people around you just sort of don't know how to be with you. And, and then it becomes really awkward. Um, so, yeah, just talking the whole time. When it comes to, to people around you, what was your experience of their reactions and did they treat you and Abby differently? We're really lucky um, in the sense that we are part of a community that very much cares about people and us. So we have a, a very close network of friends who literally no thought whatsoever just gave us what we needed, you know, you need space, you have space, you want us to be there, we're there. And where I work as well, they were super supportive in the sense of like, you know, uh, 
whatever time I needed and whatever I needed. They were very much like, that's what we got to do. And because where we work, we sort of, we work in two different places, but they're, they're part of the same organization. So that obviously kind of meant that they were aware of both of us having that experience. And so they were very, very supportive and very helpful with that. But I think sometimes people don't know how to react. So the people closest to you, because they know you really well, they can sort of work out what to do. And then other people who hear it. So, you know, I started sort of slowly coming back to work and and some people just avoid you altogether because it's like they don't want to have that conversation because it's too sad and it's they don't know what to say and they're going to say the wrong thing. Um, and then other people almost try to identify and you're like with all due respect your story is not my story please don't try to identify with me just say you're sorry if you feel like that's what you want to do but don't you know I found it really frustrating one of the things I found really hard was when somebody would come over and go oh um like oh I I I know how you feel um and and it's like you don't know how I feel like you don't because you're not me um and you haven't had this experience and and we had one person said to us oh you know you know and and this is going to sound really awful but even if somebody's had a miscarriage their experience is different they're always different because every individual experiences something different and so you know to to sort of be told i know exactly how you're feeling like fair enough say you know i have experienced it and it's horrible that's fine but I know how you feel that phrase to me is like I never use it because I can never be in somebody's brain um so I found that really hard sometimes when people would would come across and feel the need to share their story in the middle of your grief and it's like I just wanted to come here and have a cup of coffee with some people and have a chat I didn't want to come here to talk about how sad I am so please don't do that um so I found, I found that quite hard um but nobody really treated us that differently actually I, I that was the one thing I think was really good but I think it's because like I said before Abs and I are very close and because we're so and we're also very open like if you meet any of our friends you'll <laughs> our house is basically an open house like you can if you want to stay over or, or whatever like yeah fine come over hang out stay over if you need to have dinner you know we'll work it out so we're very open and very sort of like life is as it is. And so I think people didn't really treat us all that differently, but I have quite a few close friends who would then say, you know, I'd be like, Oh, how are you guys? And then um, would be like, so how are you? Like what's happening with you? And just wanting to know about me, which was, which was fantastic actually, because it allows you to be, be you um, and just say how you're feeling, which is, which is good. So yeah, I think I think some people treat you differently just because they don't know how to react and they sometimes say the wrong thing. And it's like, now I'm dealing with you feeling uncomfortable and now I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> and now we have to, you know, I had somebody say to me really randomly, like she walked up to me and she was like, oh, how are you doing? And it's like, yeah, I'm fine, like, you know, working through things um, and, and literally just said, I heard you lost, you lost your child. And I was a bit like, well, he's, he's not, he's not lost. Um, 
I know where he is. He's he's just not he's just not with us. He's, he, you know, haven't left him in a tree somewhere, kind of thing. And then it got really uncomfortable because then it was always like she kept going, and I was almost like, please stop talking because you're making it worse. Um, but yeah, it was it, that was a weird conversation to be involved in because I was sort of trying to work out how I was gonna how I was gonna say, look, thank you. That's fine. And some people were really astute. They were like, oh, it's just nice to see you out and about. I hope you guys are doing okay. Great. Do that. That's great. Thank you. And let's get on with it. But it's those those moments when, you know, people want to identify. So like, I'll seek out the people who are in that environment. So that's why sort of being part of um, Sam's group, it allows us to share our stories, but nobody is saying, I know how you feel all the time. It's you, you, you're part of the collective. We all, we're in the world's worst gang, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's the world's worst, world's worst club. And you're friends with people who you might not necessarily be friends with them, but you have this thing that you all know what it's like, but you all come from it from different angles and that you respect that. So when somebody says I'm feeling this way, it's horrible. I've never had the experience I mean, so far, where somebody's gone, oh, I know exactly how you feel. They've just said, that's horrible. It's tough. Are you doing X, Y, and Z? Or I've been doing this. Um, There's never been a sort of like taking on what you're feeling or trying to tell you how you're feeling. And I think that's one of the things about Sam's that I found incredibly helpful is that nobody nobody tries to tell you how you're feeling or how, how to deal with how you're feeling. It's because you can't and in terms of support that you received either from people or you know organizations gp wherever um a lot of people that we've spoken to have said that they felt that there was a lot of support around for the birthing parent but not a lot of support around for the other parent and what's your experience been like with that I think it's a little bit different because I'm a woman. I don't don't know. I think because I'm, I don't feel like I have to be a certain way. I think it just depends on how you present yourself and, and how you let other people know what you need. Because I think people forget that sometimes you just have to ask and you just have to say, I'm not in a good place. I, I need some, some help here rather than shying away from it. And and I think that's, I guess it's part of who I am anyway. So I think it's almost not unfair, but other people probably haven't had as positive an experience of, of having a, a collective community of people around you or surrounding themselves with people who genuinely want to make sure that both of you are okay. And having somebody who's had to physically have the experience of being pregnant and then physically having to give birth to, to our to our son who was you know sleeping and he's not he's not going to take his first breath and he's, we're not going to hear him cry I think that's one of the things that you know that's the physical side and then you have the emotional side and although I wasn't physically experiencing it I was there the whole time and I had to be a support and and so for me that was that was huge and, and the nurses actually the midwives sort of the day after Abby was was having a sleep 
and I was, I was sitting on, on my phone and just doing whatever and one of them said oh would you like to come and have a cup of coffee with me and I was like okay random um and we just sat and had a coffee and then we sat quietly for a little bit and then she said to me how are you and I said uh I've had better days um <laughs> and and she just let me say how I was feeling and in that moment actually that helped me kind of go it's it was kind of weird because we were sitting outside and the world was just continuing on as if like everything was normal. And I'm like, how are these people going about their day when the worst possible thing that could happen in my life has just happened? And I don't really understand. Um, but she said, you know, that's part of the world and it's going to happen. And it's what we have to experience. And unfortunately you have to sit with it sometimes. So yeah, that was sort of how I, <laughs> how I had to deal with it. Um, but yeah, people have always been quite keen to make sure that I'm okay because you don't want to get lost in the shuffle. Um, I think is the is the thing. I think actually, even our even our dog, <laughs> he was a bit strange when we first got back from the hospital, and then it was all it was absolutely awful. He's a he's a red fox Labrador, and he could see we were really sad, so he would sit with us and and just not do anything. And then upon occasion, he would go upstairs into Magnus's nursery because we hadn't put everything away and he'd just sit there and howl and it was like the most painful thing because you're just like oh god even the dog <laughs> is experiencing this and it's horrible so yeah so you're sort of like oh okay there, there's more than just us in this and there are other people in our in our circle who are also experiencing it in their own way so if we remember that it's not just it's not just me and it's not just that then you can kind of go through it together and not be lost in the shuffle you've talked a lot about um how uh, people responded to you and it sounds as if you've got amazing support around you which is fantastic but you said you wondered if it was different because you're a woman and i wonder whether there's something about societal expectations that you were given more space and more time and more of a chance to be who you wanted to be yeah. than a man would be given because of those expectations around how a man should behave in a situation like that and how how indeed he might feel he ought to behave in a situation like that because yeah. of those societal pressures. Yeah, I think I, th I think that's definitely something. So I'd spoken to to someone through the the Facebook chat and she said oh would you mind talking to my boyfriend and I said yeah sure like he can send me a message that's fine and he was just like but what do I do and I said well what what do you feel you want to do and he said well I just I just feel really angry and it's like how do I stop this but I can't do anything and I said well you are doing something and he said well what am I doing I, I all I do is, is I I go to work I come back she's really sad I sit with her, I make her dinner, I hold her when she cries. And I was like, so you're doing something? And I said, but what are you doing for you? And he said, oh, I, I don't, I'm just avoiding it. And I said, don't avoid it. I said, find something. And I said, it can be anything, but find something that's just for you so that you can be in it. And that if you need to feel angry, feel angry, like it's okay. I said the gym is quite good for that if 
if that's the type of person you are, like go to the gym, throw some weights around. That feeling of rush will help you feel those emotions a little bit more because you're just as important as she is. And she'll be worrying about you without telling you she's worried about you because she can't process all of that at the same time. So just make sure that she can see that you're looking out for yourself as much as looking out for her. And that was that was all the advice I could give him because what else am I going to say? I don't, you know, I'm not an expert. But um, I think a lot of people think they're not doing a lot when they are. And there's that expectation of, oh, well, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. And I said, well, nobody should be doing anything. You just do, do what feels right for you. But don't avoid, because I think avoidance is probably the worst, the worst thing you can do because then you just, you never, you never really feel it. But you also have to remember not to get stuck in a process. Because um, one of my friends said to me, you know, you, you've been angry for quite a quite a period of time now how are you feeling this week and I was like actually I'm I'm not angry anymore now I'm just sad and she was like that's good <laughs> I was like oh cheers mate <laughs> that's good <laughs> and she went you've moved through a stage she said so that's really important because if you get trapped in something sometimes you can't see a way out and then that's where it can become quite quite negative because then you don't want other people around you you don't want to see life beyond that you don't want to see the positives and anything all you want to do is obsess about this one horrible thing that's happened to you and I hadn't really thought about it that way and then when she said it I was like oh okay yeah that makes a lot of sense so yeah I think there is a lot of pressure for men to be a certain way and that's something that I feel quite I feel quite sad about it because we're all people regardless of our, our gender how we identify what culture we're from we're human and we have emotions and we should never feel like we have to bottle them and push it because i have to show everybody i'm coping um, that's not healthy and it just perpetuates this thing of oh you have to behave a certain way and actually in many ways being macho and not dealing with things doesn't support your partner particularly well because then they feel like oh you're fine why are you fine and I'm still a blubbering mess in the corner you know today I got dressed you know I've got out of bed today yes I'm wearing clothes yes I've managed to go out to the shop yes and you're just waking up in the morning going to work and seemingly living your life I think that can have a really negative impact and I think people don't think about it like that they just think oh I'm just, I'm here and I'm experiencing it. I think that's the one thing I, I was sort of trying to get across this, this guy who I was talking to. I just said to him, don't feel like you have to. If you are sad and you need to take time, take time. It's really important. Really wise so. words. Really mm. wise words. I think the other thing I just noticed a, a way back when you were talking was those wonderful people who just say, it's lovely to see you and that's it they don't make any demands and they don't mean yeah. to make demands by asking you how you are but just to say oh it's so lovely to see you out is fantastic isn't it because yeah you don't then have to tell them anything you can just say lovely to see you do or give them a hug or just say yeah. thanks exactly and it's just brilliant I just wanted to acknowledge those lovely people <laughs> that you yeah. mentioned in passing too 
No, we're really lucky, I think. I think because we're really open people, that was the one thing that I think has helped us massively because, you know, the environment in which I'm working, I'm around people all the time. Um, so the whole time through the pregnancy, you know, in the boarding house when I was working, the girls would be like, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? We don't know. Like suggesting loads of names. They were all really invested. Um, so they were just as sad for us, I think is probably the more sort of way of looking at, you know, that they're feeling sad for you. How did you navigate yeah. that? Because you're in a, a a teacher role with them and that's the position that you are used to with them. And then here is something that is happening to you that is so raw and yet you still have all these girls that you are you know responsible for how did you navigate all of that together um well when it happened I wasn't the housem so that was helpful um I was only really on duty two nights a week so that was I guess in some ways a little bit easier I think if it had happened now I think that would have been much more complicated um but if I go back to the sort of beginning bit when I when I first found out and I was being really pragmatic, um, I, I rang one of my best friends who I work with. So I'm pretty fortunate my best friend works where I work and has the same job that I have. And, and I rang her and I said, I need you to go to the boarding house like now um, and I need you to tell the girls at lunch what's happened. And I felt really bad actually a few weeks ago because I suddenly reflected on it. I was like, I've put this massive responsibility onto my best friend to tell other people this horrible thing has happened. But she straight away, she was like, yep, fine, no problem. She gathered all the, all the people that sort of support in school and, and they told the girls and they were understandably sad and upset for us. They had a lot of support, so we had, you know, there was a counsellor to support them and stuff. But what they did was, as a community, they had a service that evening and everybody went up into chapel and and lit candles and uh, had a moment to to just be, um, which I think was pretty incredible, particularly for young people to deal with that something that major although not directly affecting them, it's still quite a big deal. And then when I got back, rather than sort of coming straight back into school, um, sort of went to watch them play sport and stuff, we went to a match um, the one afternoon, and I was like, I don't think there'll be many people there, which is really good. Um, there's only a few, a few parents, and that's fine. And everybody kind of just left us to it. Um the match went into extra time and I kept shouting to the girls, come on, keep playing, keep playing, come on. And they saw me, but they didn't sort of acknowledge too much. And then they finished the match. They, they won, which was great as well, um, <laughs> in penalties, very dramatically. Um, but as soon as as soon as the last goal went in, they were rushed over and literally just surrounded us both Abby and I just like hugged us and were like yes you're here we're happy to see you and it was just 
was hard, but it was nice because they were happy that they hadn't seen me for two weeks and suddenly I was there and and they just felt, you know, and they didn't, they didn't necessarily talk about it or anything like that. They were just like, oh, we're glad you're here. And that was, that was huge, actually, for me. Um, and then in the days that followed, I sort of slowly would be in for a couple of days, you know, so I'd go into lunch and, and I could see initially they were a little bit like, not sure, but they saw me like, oh, you're back. They'd give you a hug and be like, oh, it's great to see you. And, and then they asked questions, which I think some of them initially were a bit scared to do, but some of them I've known them since they were like 10. So they felt reasonably confident that they could ask. And so, you know, I, I'd let them know that his name is Magnus and they'd ask questions and, and we'd talk about it. Kids are super resilient and they're also actually... They're a lot more emotionally intelligent than people think, actually. So they'll take things for what they are. And if you say to them, I don't want to talk about it, they respect that. And if they want to know something, they'll ask, and they're very respectful. So a lot of them would ask lots of various questions and, and explain. And and so when we got pregnant again, uh, a couple of them were like, oh, that's really cool because... Like they'll know that they have a they have a big brother that will look out for them. The fact that they acknowledged, you know, they haven't forgotten. And uh, on on his birthday, the twenty first of September, they they got they got us a card, like a happy birthday to him type thing, and it was yeah, it was just really nice that they acknowledge it and they they still talk about him like you know Fleur's older brother Magnus. Uh, which is is lovely. Um, so yeah, they're an incredible bunch of of young women, and and even you know some of the boys around school. One of them was walking across, and he said, "Oh, Miss, how um, I haven't seen you around." I said, "Yeah, sorry, I've I've been away." He went, "No, I know, but how are you?" I said, oh, "I'm okay." And he went, "It's good to see you, Miss. I'm glad you're back." And that that was it. That was the whole conversation, but just you know, to to realise that people see you and and recognise that you're struggling but that they're pleased that you're there. That I think that is the for me was massive because you invest so much of yourself as as a teacher or for me maybe a little bit more than maybe I should sometimes. But for then people to do for me why I try to do for them was quite humbling, I think. So, yeah. It sounds yeah. testament to you and the kind of people that you both are as well, I'm sure, from everything that you said. But it gives me such hope um, when you talk about the young people in your care and how emotionally intelligent they are in comparison to generations past and how how naturally it comes to them to talk about things and acknowledge them, which, you know, I think if I, at that, that age, I wouldn't have been able to do that. I'd have been, you know, just really awkward. <laughs> yeah. And I think, 
I think I have such hope and such encouragement from what you've said and from other younger people that I meet and, and my own children just thinking they are so different now. I think that's one of the things one of the girls said to me because she said, Miss, I, I really like the fact that I can just be myself and I can say how I'm feeling when I'm feeling it. Um, because I kept saying to them, they were like, oh, you seem to be okay. I said, I am, but sometimes I'm not and that's okay. Sometimes... I stand in the shower and I cry because that's how I feel. I said, but feel your feelings. I love how honest and open you are because it is absolutely true, isn't it? We do have those moments where life's okay and we're laughing and we're joking. And equally, we have those moments where, for whatever reason, we we relive. And in those moments, things are desperately sad and, and they're really hard feel your feelings. I feel like that's that's my takeaway really from talking to you. It's so important. Um, Shay, we like to end each episode in the same way and that is by looking ahead and asking what are your hopes for the future? I think for me we're really lucky. We've got our, our little girl now. Um, she's three months old yesterday. So we've We've been really lucky that we've been able to to conceive and be able to still have a, a, another another baby. Um, so that's really something that's really quite incredible. Um, even when she's screaming her head off at night and you say, "Please be quiet," I just shh, kind of um, you just recognise. You know, she'll look up at me and I'm just like, oh, "Okay, you're already cute, and I love you with everything that I have." So I'm going to try and create the best environment for you to be the best person you can be. Um, But really my hopes, I think, are that I hope that more people recognise that people are different. They deal with things differently and that people should never be afraid to feel their feelings, uh, to ask for help when they need it and to accept that some things you can't change. Voices of Baby Loss is an under-the-mast creative audio production.